Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friend. Welcome to episode 203 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic, entrepreneur, and this is a coaching podcast. We talk about recovering from life, (laughs) recovering from addiction, healing, and becoming a better person so you can feel good, be happy, and like who you are. This is all about building a life that we love so we don't feel like we need to escape from it. On today's episode, I have a fantastic guest for you. You guys, nobody is talking about this, and it is so important. It's such a big piece of our world and our recovery community. We're going to talk about gambling. And for a lot of people with substance addictions, gambling can be a secondary addiction. And I see this a lot in my sober living houses. And it's become an even bigger issue with smartphones because we used to think of gambling as being in the casino and playing poker and all of those things. But now gambling is happening right on your phone, right in your hands 24-7. So it's changed the landscape a lot. I know, too, we have a lot of people that deal with this with their partners and spouses, and this can be a huge struggle. So this is a super important topic. I have Jamie Salzberg on the show today from AfterGambling.com, and he's going to talk to us about, like, what is the tipping point with gambling? Like, where does it cross over from fun into an unhealthy or addictive type behavior? We're going to talk about common gambling triggers. And something I really love in this episode, I can't wait for you to hear this part. Of course, it's at the end. My favorite question, what's your favorite thing about being in recovery or your favorite thing about being a sober person? And Jamie's answer was the friendships. And I love that. You know, I'm all about your tribe, creating a tribe, being connected, being of service to one another. And his response to that and how he explains the friendships is absolutely brilliant. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's welcome Jamie Salzberg. Hi, Jamie Salzberg. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this show with me. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have this chat. Absolutely. Why don't you take a minute and just tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Jamie Salzberg. I am a former problem gambler and two, three, well, now actually it's been, oh, now almost four years ago, I decided to start a podcast similar to you where I would talk about my struggles with gambling addiction. I know something that at the time I'd kind of kicked around the idea, um, but really thought, okay, this is something that there just aren't enough people talking about. And so something that I said, you know, yeah, that's, and it was actually my birthday present to myself was I released the first five episodes right around my birthday in 2018. And now almost four years later, have done a handful of episodes and just really have enjoyed kind of getting to know other people. And it's really helped me in my recovery as much as anything else. Yeah. 
You're, you know what? You're exactly right. There are not enough people talking about this. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you too, because it does need to be a bigger piece of the conversation. And even as a secondary addiction. So I noticed you said problem gambler. Do you not call yourself a gambling addict or it's something just, does it matter? I've used all you? the terms. No. Okay. And, and I know there are people that like are very specific about their terms and I try to respect that for me. I mean, I've, I've called myself all the terms, things that people say you shouldn't call yourself. Um, I know right now I know the popular term is a disordered gambler, which that one just never kind of felt right. And I think just coming up through GA, that's kind of always compulsive gambler, problem gambler. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I think language is important, but whatever people want to call themselves. And, and for me, it was kind of that point of like, even just saying like former problem gambler, because for a long time, I carried that identity mm-hmm. way on. And I'm like, well, wait a second, I haven't gambled in over 10 years now. Like, like am I still a problem gambler? And sure, right. I still have a lot of those behaviors, but but that was kind of an interesting one for me and kind of the transition of what I call myself. Yeah, I'm the same way with the labels. Like you can call me anything. I, you know, I'll answer to anything. It's all fine with me. <laughs> I don't have any hangups about any of the words. Call me whatever you want. Um, it is interesting though, because after you have abstained from whatever your thing is for a long period of time, does that mean that you no longer have the problem? You know, for me as an alcoholic, like I know I can't drink today. Like I will always be an alcoholic regardless of how long it's been since I've had a drink. And I know if I drank today, I would be just as much a lunatic as I was (laughs) um, 16 years ago when I got sober. So yeah, it's interesting. I had never thought about the former or current or whatever it would be or active is another good word right like, yeah. like i think and that's i think for me it's important that's the other thing with the podcast and it's always i try to revisit um my past without going there and that's something i always have suggested to other people because that's something that's really worked for me and that's why I like 12 step meetings work for me because i go and i'm able to kind of kind of remember just how painful it was you see somebody on day one and it's like okay i remember that but yes. i don't have to go back there and so it's yes. that key is to, to keep it fresh in my mind and with podcasting and going to meetings and just kind of doing all the things that I do helps me to, to revisit that and realize that, okay, like this was me now over 11 years ago, but this could be me tomorrow if I choose to. Right. And so those behaviors are definitely, and some of the thoughts, cause it's the thoughts are emotions that we all deal with. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing, especially like going to 12 steps. I mean, I met people from all different A's, right? A, G, A, N, A, like, and you start to see the common threads that we all share. Yeah, And it's rooted in emotion and it's rooted in past trauma and it's rooted in all these things. And so it's important for me to just kind of understand that, okay, there's, there's bigger stuff. There's gambling specific stuff that definitely was kind of a trap for me and got me into a lot of trouble, but there's other stuff that's just life stuff that it's going to be here no matter what happens um, for the rest of my life. Definitely. And I think when you're, when you're a person with compulsion, right, regardless of what level, like not every alcoholic drank the way I drank either, you know, like there, it is kind of a spectrum, but I think anybody that has compulsions, we have very similar personalities, right? It kind of presents in a really similar way. And that was one of the great things for me when I got sober was being able to connect with people in a way that I had never been able to connect with people before because I was finally surrounded by people just like me. And that was so powerful in my recovery because I just, I felt like my whole life, I just felt like I never fit anywhere. Yeah. 
And it's that isolation, that loneliness that would always drive me back. Right. And that's the thing I see. I'm like, and I I mean, I'm definitely with you. I mean, our Monday night crew, I mean, it's kind of like a, just a hangout with my friends at this point. I mean, that's, and and it's funny to see that transition because Mm -hmm. me at 28, when I went to my first 12 step meeting, I mean, I remember looking around and actually one of the things I was uncomfortable, I'm like, man, these people like seem like they're like smiling and like kind of enjoying being here. Like what, what is going on? Like, what is wrong? Like, this is not anything like I expected. And it took me a while to understand why and that they had that connection that these other people that had a similar experience, there there was a bond there that they just didn't have with other people. And now that I have that, I see that there's so much value in that to to have people that you can say something that wouldn't make sense to 98% of the population. Yeah, that 2% they get it. And they're like, yes, I absolutely I, I know. And then they run with it and they go tell their story. And you can, at the end of it, you just are kind of like laughing, but there's kind of that therapeutic laugh to it. Yeah, no question. So what I have seen a lot of in my career in working with addiction for so many years, I have seen a lot because I work primarily drugs and alcohol. Um, I don't do uh, any work in process addictions because I just don't have the knowledge and the training, right? So I like to stay on my side of the street. <laughs> so what I've seen a lot of is gambling as a secondary issue, a secondary addiction. And I always say, I think we all have a primary secondary addiction. <laughs> and, and a lot of times with men, it's gambling. And a lot of times with women, it's food. Now those aren't absolutes, right? Not every single person is going to fall into that, but that's what I've seen the majority of over the years of my career. So did you ever abuse other substances or were you gambling? So, so most of my problematic uh, behaviors were, were with gambling. I mean, I was in college um, and definitely drank way too much. And, and probably the only thing that kept me from going over that line with alcohol was, was a, just kind of a suggestion from my dad to always make sure I could stop. He was in a fraternity. He like jokingly said, Hey, we were ridiculous. And I was fortunate that I was able to stop. I have friends that, that haven't been able to stop and they're in 12 step programs. And like, like, that's good that we have these programs, but also just understand, make sure you can stop. And so it was just that, that little warning from him was enough that when I would push it way up to the line, but for whatever reason, I think that's part of why I never went over it with, with, with alcohol. Um, but I mean, I was a golfer. I was an athlete. I mean, I was an addict on the golf course. I mean, I played high level right. competitive golf. I mean, eight hours a day to go show up and, and hit the golf ball around for eight, nine, right. 10 hours a day. Like you have to be addicted to it. So yeah, I definitely have kind of that, that personality, that drive, um, no matter what it is, I want to, I want to be good at, it. I want to work hard at it. And so, so you have that. So I think that does make sense. And I, I, I can vouch for having both the gambling and the food. So that's, that's funny. Yeah. Cause yeah. I can, I can definitely, uh, put down some Oreos when I'm stressed out. So, <laughs> so how did you know originally, like, how did you know you had a problem? Like what was the tipping point from I'm doing this as a fun thing? Were you doing a lot of like sports betting and things like that? Or so were me, you was, like cards and poker cards. and was, okay. And a lot of these things end up being just kind of like environmental. So I was yeah. a 21 year old kid in 2003 when the world series of poker was first televised on ESPN as this big ordeal. And so I went from being a kid at 20 that didn't know if a straight beat a flush. My family didn't play cards. I didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden through hanging out with a couple of uh, friends and we play a home game and then watching it, all of a sudden we're playing all the time. And I was a math kid. So I was like, oh, this is all math. This is a different type of gambling. Sure, it's gambling, but, but there's a strategy and there's math involved. And so that really appealed to me. Um, 
and I was fairly decent at it at first. And so I had some success, but, but then over time, I mean, you start to have some losses and that's where I started to see like my personality, I would just go and go and go. And there was never a win that was big enough. And so then all of a sudden I'd have this crash and I may spend a week or two running up a small amount to a pretty substantial amount, but then I'd lose that all in an hour, two hours. It was mm. just these crazy crashes. Um, so I, I started to see some of those things, but even then it's just the, okay, I'm just going to stop that one problematic part. I'm not going to play too long. I'll just stop next time. Next time I'll just stop. I'll play, I'll play. And when I get tired, when I play for too long, I'll, I'll set limits. I'll do all these things, but then I wouldn't, I'd push it by. And then it would slowly get my debts got bigger. Um, I was struggling more and more with school. I wasn't going to school anymore. I was kind of uh, skipping classes and doing all that and, and really had a lot of things going on in my life, but I was able to have enough success that I convinced myself that this was the path to get out of the problems I created. And that's one of the fascinating things I always try and share with people about gambling is it's one of, if not the only addiction where it seems logical that you should just keep on using because that's the best way to get out. And my fantasy and every gambler that I've ever met, the fantasy is I'm going to get back to even and nobody has to know just how hellish it got. And that's what we think. And so we continue on and continue on and the hole gets bigger and bigger. And then eventually uh, for me, I, I just got to the point where I, I got lucky that I got caught and I had to kind of start making some significant changes in my life. It's so interesting to me, like the parallels as you were describing what you were doing and setting limits and boundaries, rules, as we say, right? Like all of that is exactly the same with, with alcohol for sure. Right. Like you're always, you're always setting these rules. Like, well, I'm only going to drink on these nights. I'm never going to drink before 6 PM. I'm only going to drink wine and no hard alcohol. Like it's always this thing. It's always these promises to yourself that you're consistently breaking. Yep. Spot on. And it does. And eventually like we start to, I think where it really becomes problematic or was for me, was when I was sharing with the outside world, this one view of, okay, I have all this stuff together. I, I'm doing well with poker. My business is going well. And I had this facade that was completely uh, detached from reality. And so it became more and more of an internal struggle to try and figure out how am I going to make these things mesh? Because otherwise I'm going to have to come clean to everybody and say, I've basically been lying to you for the last three years, five years, eight years. So that was, that was hard to deal with. Yeah. It's terrifying. So how did you, so you recognize you had a problem. How did you figure out how to get help and what well, exactly did you do? Like, did you do a treatment program? So at first, the first time I quit was just kind of cold Turkey. And I kind of went, my grandma was a smoker forever. And she just quit one day and I'm like, okay, if grandma can quit smoking, I can quit. And so I quit for about nine months. And that was going really well up until a friend texted and said, Hey, just come play at this game. And of course I was right back in playing high stakes, just like you say, limits. I was like, Oh, I'll just play this $20 game. And by the weekend I was playing for thousands again. So, I mean, it's, it, it definitely went downhill quickly. Um, but while I knew I had a problem, I just wasn't ready to stop. I just, I wasn't going to. And that's where fortunately, like I said, my cell phone actually dialed out. I pocket dialed my then fiance, fortunately now wife. So it's a happy ending story from a poker table when I was supposed to be coming home from a trade show. And I didn't know what she heard. And so uh, that was the day I kind of came clean. And she was the one that said, look, I understand you have a problem. Um, I know you're a good person. I like because she had thought I had stopped and stayed stopped. And she said, you're going to go to a 12-step program. You're going to get help. Like, here's where you're going to go. And we're going to figure this out. And so she was really supportive, which was huge. 
Um, but she was also very kind of set on the fact that like, you are going to get help. There was no other option. And so that was what started me. And so I started going to 12 step program, um, started working with a therapist and, and all these things over time kind of built upon each other. And, and just, that was kind of the, the strategy I've used over the last now 11 years. Is gambling similar to substance in the relapse way, right? Like you said, when you quit the first time and you just weren't ready. I mean, that is exactly the verbiage we use in in substance too. So is that a pretty standard, like is the, the chronic relapse kind of cycle? Is that standard in gambling as well? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's one of those things you set the limit and then once you break it, especially because it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to play for $20, but then your mind starts running. It's like, well, if you're playing for 20, you broke your promise with yourself. You might as well play for thousands. And it, it quickly becomes that slippery slope back into the worst of what you had. And then it just keeps going down and down. And we just keep moving that, that bar, right? We keep moving the bar, moving the bar. And especially with gambling, you have this debt that's accruing, which makes things even worse because you know that at some point that you're going to have to take care of that but we're just so convinced that, that the gambling is what is going to get us out of it. So that's why we keep going back, keep going back. But I didn't see another option. I, yeah. I mean, I, I was working, I had a business, but I'm like the, and it was one of those things that I didn't want to see another option. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a comfort, there was an escape that I felt when I sat down at a poker table, I knew it was the worst place for me, but it was my place where I could go sit. And I didn't have to think about the stress of the day. I didn't have to think about stress of relationships. I didn't have to think even about my debts, which just sounds weird, but I didn't have to think about how hellish those debts had become because all I had to do was sit there and just kind of numb out and escape. And so it, it, it's so similar. And that's the one it has been fascinating. I love hearing like people with different addictions and, and thought processes and behaviors because you start to see and you're like, man, that's the exact same thing. That's exact the exact same, same thing. thing. Yeah. I say that to everybody. I'm like the core of addiction is the same. Like our different behaviors and substances, however it manifests can create some different details, but the core of it is, is the same regardless of what the behavior or substance is. Absolutely. It's, it's so true. And it's looking back now. It's, I mean, understanding there were so many life changes going on. I mean, I was at college, I was away. I mean, I just ended a long-term relationship. My college golf career had ended. I was fearful of getting a real like big boy job and all those things. And, and that's the one thing I've noticed is like, whenever we go through these life changes, significant life changes, that's something I've kind of noticed listening to other people's stories, that that's like always a really kind of dangerous spot for addiction to kind of really take hold and really go to the next level. And so those are some of the things that I guess that's probably why I share what I share now to try and help people to understand. Cause that's, that's that prevention. Hopefully that my dad gave me that, that piece of was like, Hey, make sure you can stop that next level is, Hey, understand that there's these things that go on in our lives that really can, can trigger addiction that can really kind of take it. Um, something that would have been otherwise kind of harmless, just hey, playing a little bit of cards with your friends. Well, right. when you're, when you're using it for these other things, for this escapism, for, the, for these problems that can really go downhill quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> very quickly with gambling. And that's, that's the other one that's fascinating because it's just, there's no shutoff valve. I mean, when I would drink and I drink too much, I mean, my body would black out and say, no, you are done for tonight. Like you will not have any more gambling. Uh, the only thing that stops is the bank account or the credit card. I mean, and so I, there were nights, I mean, anything I had at my disposal and it was just, okay, well, there's an, where's another credit card. There's another $800. Where's this account? How the only thing that stopped me was any type of friction to get the money into the accounts. Um, right. and with online gambling, it's one of those things that 
I think it's, it's, it's a little scary to know just how easy it is to get in there. Yeah. And, and then we have other things. I mean, we have crypto, we have stock markets, we have all these different products, which are gambling in nature. And I'm just hopeful that we all kind of just understand that the ease of access that we have to them um, can really create some problems uh, if we're not aware of it. And, and I don't think any of us are really quite aware of it. I've had this issue come up a few times. Um, I own men's sober living houses and I have had gambling come up a couple of times. Right. And it wasn't something in the beginning that I really thought that much about because I'm not a gambler. So of course it's not top of mind. Um, I did think about gaming because I had a kid, one of my first guys that moved in when I opened my first sober living house was a gamer. And so I had to decide that from the beginning, am I going to allow them to have games or not? And I said, no, no video games at my houses. Um, but I never thought about gambling. And a couple of years ago, I had one of the guys reach out to me. And I have two houses and they had gotten together to watch a game. I think it was a basketball game. And a bunch of guys from one house went over to the other house and they were all watching this basketball game together. And one of them called me later and he was like, Angela, this is a real problem. He said, you know, gambling has been an issue for me in my past. And he was a drug addict and alcoholic. He's like, gambling has been a problem for me in my past. He goes, and these guys were all on their phones, like rabid dogs, gambling, betting on these games. He said, it made me so uncomfortable. I literally had to leave and go home by myself. And that was the first time that I was like, oh, yes, gambling, betting on games, <laughs> because to me, gambling is craps and cards. And, you know, like that's what you think of with gambling. So this, this whole having the phone in your hand and having access to absolutely everything in a split second is a whole new ball game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've met people that play blackjack as they drive down the interstate. I've met people that are playing roulette as their wife is sleeping next to them or their spouse is sleeping next to them. It's, it's become, and it's, it's like anything with the internet. that's what we just have to figure it out. It's not going to go away. And that's one right. thing. Like, I, I know the, the first reaction for a lot of people is, okay, let's just ban it. Let's, and there's a fear of like expanded regulation, um, legal re regulated betting. It's, it's not going to go away. I mean, that's the thing I always try and point to people. And so we got to figure out, we got to understand, we got to have these conversations so we can understand these things. So we can at least talk about them with our kids, with our family, so that we're, we're able to understand what are some of the signs of problem gambling? What's it look like? Um, because otherwise we're just going to get blindsided. And that's yeah. the thing like in spouses, I feel just awful for so many of the, the spouses and significant others and family members oh my because gosh, it's yes. just, they wake up one day and, and I've done it to people and they're just completely blindsided. Yeah. Um, and with gambling, it's like, it's not just that, Hey, I, I have X problem. It's, Hey, we aren't going to have our house anymore. Right. The 401k is gone. Right. Like, it's college tuition is gone. And, and so it can have impact. I think it's seven to nine people are impacted by a, a problem gambler. And it's, it's pretty wild when you see like, obviously like how much that financial impact has on a family or on a community. Yeah. So what are some of the signs and symptoms for the people that are listening right now that are wondering if they have a gambling problem, like if it's stepped over the line, what should they be looking for? 
Yeah. And I think it's always tough. Everybody has their own unique things. I think we all sort of know that's one of the things. And so if you're trying to get back to even, that's the, like I said, that's the, the classic one internally we know. And one thing I think is, is, is fascinating. I think would be really helpful for a lot of people is just, do you have a budget in place? Because that's something I didn't have. And I, a lot of people I have met, like we gamble, but we don't actually know, like, is this problematic? Because we don't know, we don't have it as a line item in our, in our, in our budget. And so like, if you don't have any financial plan in place, or a budget in place, then then any type of gambling is pretty reckless, in my opinion, because you just don't know. And so that's that's one thing is to figure out. Obviously, people always say keep it for entertainment. Well, gambling should be part of your entertainment budget. Which I actually created a little calculator that I can send you the link to, and we can link people to that if they want to go find out because it's fascinating to really put in. You start to put in what you make to figure out. Okay, what should be a good gambling budget? And if I would have looked at that when I was playing cards, I'd been like, "That's ridiculous. That is so low. It's so obscene." And that, and but yet, if I would have stayed within that bounds, gambling wouldn't have become the problem it was because I wouldn't have been trying to use it to pay rent, to pay cars, to do these it's things the, that I wasn't. It's the same thing with drinking where they say like women should never have more than two drinks a night or three drinks or something like I'm like, I, I drank that many drinks, like while I was showering, getting ready to get ready, you know, right. <laughs> like that was it. Yeah. Like it's so low. You're like, what is that? Like who even does that? You know, obviously the non-alcoholic people are doing that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that would be one thing I would just caution everybody, just have some kind of budget or, or at least if you're gamble, like just write it down and say like, okay, what percentage of this is my, of my total income is it? And that would be part of that, just the awareness, like to have some awareness of really what you're dedicating to it. I think so, because I think we just lose sense of the value of money when we're gambling, Um, especially with wins, like, uh, like even just if we win money, like we say it's house money, right? Like we treat that money completely differently. I just had this conversation with a friend yesterday and like, if you win a thousand dollars for some reason, we think, okay, that's not like doesn't take the same effort because it didn't take the same effort as if we worked our job to get a thousand dollars. And so we, we are, we're more likely to just kind of waste it. And so I do think like we lose track of the value of a dollar. And so that's one thing that like having that budget to come back to, to pull you back to say, okay, like, Hey, like my electric bill is a hundred bucks a month. And like, so if I win a hundred bucks at the casino, that can pay that off. And like, it takes a lot of work to pay this off. And so that's one kind of key thing I think is just having that understanding and respect, I guess, of the value of a dollar and, and what you have to do to actually earn it. Um, I really think that is one of those, those key things that we have to keep in mind. Yeah. And I love to, like we talked about, like setting the rules and breaking them, you know, if you're doing that also, I think this would be the same as with alcohol and drugs too. Like so many people will reach out to me and say, like, I'm, I wonder if I'm an alcoholic or I'm trying to figure out. And I'm like, listen, I can't tell you if you're an alcoholic or not an alcoholic. Like that is a a deeply personal thing that you have to come to terms with. What I can tell you is I've never met a non-alcoholic person that wonders if they're an alcoholic right? (laughs) because non-alcoholic people aren't thinking about alcohol, right? They don't have that relationship with alcohol where it's on their mind. They're not doing it enough to wonder if they're overdoing it. And I would think that would be similar with gambling as well. Yeah. And I think a good question is like, why am I doing this? What's this doing for me? Because if it's just, hey, I'm going to hang out with two or three friends every three or four months at a casino, that makes a lot of sense. And that, that's a story that I think that probably isn't very problematic in behavior. But if it's, hey, why do I like to, when do I like to go to the casino? Well, when I've had a 
a tough week at work, when a friend like blew me off and I got upset at them, when it starts to become that, that kind of numbing, that, that mechanism that you use in these times when you're kind of emotional, like I, that's something I see quite a bit. I saw that personally. Um, so that, that's definitely a telltale sign, I think, is, is why are you going and is, are you going like kind of outside of planned uh, activities? And really, one of the best things I always tell people is just really try and keep it social. If you're, if you're gambling and, and you're doing it with two, three other people all the time, uh, I say all the time, I mean, like within kind of uh, set boundaries, right? Like not all the time every day or every weekend. But if you're doing that and it's just you're going out kind of like you're going to the movies and they know how much you're betting and you're leaving when with the group, you're not staying behind. But it is truly a social thing where there's transparency and, and your friends know sort of how much you're betting and they're not, they're not kind of intervening. Um, then you kind of have an idea uh, that it's probably something that's not gone over the line, I guess. Uh, yeah. but, but so many times we'll stay behind or we'll hide stuff from those people. And that's when it's surely a telltale sign because now you're 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 betting and you don't want them to know. There's that right. that that secrecy, that line that really creates a lot of problems. So when you got into recovery, like what were some of the things that you had to be mindful of as far as triggers go, right? Like it's simple for me. And I think some of these would make sense. Like, don't go to the bar, right? I'm sure don't go to the casino. Like I get that, but if that's, if the casino isn't even where you're gambling to begin with, you know, like what did you have to be aware of that was kind of a danger zone for you? Was it money in general? Was it, I mean, what would trigger you? Yeah. So it was a mix of things. Uh, One was obviously bills. Anytime there was a bill, um, that would be a triggering thing. Cause it was like, okay, how am I going to pay this? And so even I obviously had a huge credit card debt. So, so bundling those together and and packaging where I only had one payment, which was automatically drawn was a huge weight off. And once I got that set up, that took a lot of that stress away, but anything financial, I mean, even just as simple as going out to dinner or going out with friends and and wondering like, okay, am I going to have this finance uh, available to, to pay this off? Like those, anything money really would be an issue. But then there are also the, the kind of weird, awkward ones, like environmental things. Like when, I, when I'd be by a highway, because most of the time I played online, but I play a little bit at a couple of uh, card rooms or I'd have to get on the highway and drive about an hour and a half. And so whenever I'd be by a highway, like there'd be this trigger and it's like, hey, you, you have a couple hours, you could go, you could get on the highway and go. And so those are some of those just kind of day-to-day things. And I actually had to kind of create this, this change of thought whenever I would have those, I'd be by the highway, I'd be like, yeah, I could go, but I'm choosing not to. And I would literally like, like an idiot, high five myself in the car and congratulate myself and just keep and go on with my day. But, but you had those different triggers. Um, any type of stress obviously would send the things that I was, um, anything that was an avoidance thing would be something that would, that was my numbing mechanism for eight years. It was my number one numbing mechanism. So Whenever I felt uncomfortable, which we as humans get quite often, uh, I would have to realize that. And that's, that's really where those GA meetings helped. Um, it's really where kind of the therapy helped. I did a lot of reading and just really tried to find other things, other outlets for, for that, that stress. And, and just be, ultimately, I had to get to the point where I was better able to process it, better able to identify right. it and then work through it cool. so that yeah. I could have that, that, feed, that feedback loop didn't become go to the casino. That feedback loop was... Hey, remember how this ends and okay, you're good. Just chill and turn on a show or, or just reach out to a friend or do, do one of these other activities, which keeps you from going down the, the bad path. So I treated someone many years ago who was alcoholic and secondary gambling, and he couldn't even have cash. Like this was 
an issue for him that he and his wife had to deal with, right? Because if he had cash money, that was a huge trigger for him. And they had to get really creative and working around some of those issues because you have to have money out in your life, you know, on a daily basis, like money is kind of necessary in a lot of ways. So did you have anything like that, that you and your wife had to figure out? So I, I just gave her transparency into my finances. That was the one thing that we did. Um, but otherwise, but yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I know a lot of people, it's like their the spouse gives them $20 at the beginning of the week and, and that's how they work through it. Um, and it's hard. Like you said, I mean, money is part of everything we do. And I think that's yeah. part of why I think gamblers put off getting help for so long because we know that it's going to it's gonna have this huge impact. There's going to be a ripple effect across every aspect of our life. Uh, well, there's going to be trust issues. I mean, trust issues with work. There's going to be trust issues with spouses. There's going to be trust issues across the board because I think as a society, like we put so much emphasis on like being able to manage money is like a huge kind of value, that uh, something that we really value and look for. And when people don't do it, we have real huge red flags that go up. And so it's, it is definitely a difficult thing. Um, fortunately, like I said, that was good, good enough for me to kind of get through was to show that, that transparency, which I hadn't had before. Um, unfortunately I didn't have much money to, to work through and there was, it was all just kind of going to those bills. So, so for a long time, uh, there was, there were just was, a the money comes in and the money goes out and it became a nice, easy thing where I didn't have to overthink things. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, final question, favorite question. All right. What is your favorite thing about recovery? I really think it's the friendships. And that's something I would have never said or never thought, but, but the bonds, and it doesn't matter if I've met somebody once or if I've been in meetings with them for 11 years, there's that bond and that connection where, where when we meet up, it's kind of like when you meet up with old friends and you see people that you hung out with for a long time and it's amazing. And there's just such a kind of invigorating kind of, uh, I don't know, it's just a, a deep connection there that really kind of drives me and energizes me to see other people, especially when they're doing well. And even if they're struggling, like that's like, we know, like, okay, it doesn't matter what state you're in. I'm here for you. I want to help you out. And, and the same would be true. And so I, I really think those relationships are, are just the heart of, heart of recovery and, and are probably a big thing that is missing previously, which led me to my addiction. So that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, that is a very cool thing. And, and you do have connections no matter where you go. That was one of my favorite things about being part of AA is everywhere. Cause I've always traveled, you know, the last decade for sure. I've just traveled so much for you know, in my career and in personally, I just love to travel, but it, no matter where I go, I can always go to a meeting. It's like, I have a built-in family everywhere across the globe, which is amazing. And it is that connection, right? Because we're so similar in nature and we share a, a similar personality and a similar sense of humor. And it's just easy to connect with people. And yeah, I love recovering people. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is great. There's that trust level, right? Like, cause you know, somebody like what we've had to all go through to get to the point we are is like, you got to kind of let down your guard, be vulnerable. And that's somebody that we can definitely kind of un trust kind of just going forward with, with just about any conversation. And it's, it's fascinating. It's wonderful. It's, I say, yeah, that's a great question, by the way. That's, I've never, I've never even contemplated that, but, but I love that question. I ask it on every guest episode because to me, it's just a way 
with so many people, when you're listening to podcasts and, you know, reading the books and doing that thing, right. It is typically in the beginning of your recovery and you just want to consume as much information as possible. And it's hard for me to pick a favorite thing about recovery, you know, but I love asking it because you get these incredible answers from people and everybody's point of view is a little bit different, but for someone who's new in the journey, like I want them to hear what the end result can be, right? Like that happiness and joy. And for me, I think it's freedom because I was such a hostage to my addiction, you know, and it really robbed me of so much and to have freedom from all of that drama. Like I just like for people to hear what can happen and what kind of beautiful life you can create when you get this thing, you know, and that it's worth the work because it is hard sometimes too, but it's so freaking worth it. You know, you just got to hang in. It really is. You just got to keep going through and that's, there's always the ups and downs. And that's, I, I think that's the other value, right? Like the people in there will, will guide you through and say, okay, Hey, you're going through one of those down times, but, but you see the people that are ahead on the path and you know, and you just keep going. You're like, just keep going. I'm going to end up like, like, like him or her, and it's going to be so good. And I think that's, it is, it's a cool little process. It's a cool community. And it, it's just fascinating to me how wide the community is. And that's why I love talking to yeah. other people with different addictions. My one frustration is we sometimes focus too much. And I think it's cool to like focus on a single one uh, because there's certain things that like I can only connect with, with a, with a gambler or like sure. an alcohol can only connect with. But then when we can go wider, because it's just that whole nother level of like, okay, oh, they're just like me too. Oh, they're yes. just like me too. And pretty soon you're like, everybody, all 7.9 billion of us have some kind of issue that we're dealing with. Yes. And so it allows us to just kind of let our guards down and, and really kind of have a little bit of empathy and, and just, I don't know, ultimately, I think it just makes life a little bit more enjoyable. For sure. I know. And I, I feel the same way. Like I've had people ask me, like, sometimes I refer to myself as an addict, you know, and I never did drugs. I'm, I'm a good old fashioned drunk, but listen, the only reason I wasn't a drug addict is because I didn't do drugs. <laughs> like if I yeah. would have done drugs, I would have been addicted to them. <laughs> you know, like I could be addicted to anything. So yeah, I really identify with all of it. You know, it is, uh, like I said, addiction on the, on the inside for sure is, is the core of it is the same for all of us. It can just manifest a little bit differently in behaviors and substances. Yeah, that's very well said. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. This was such a good conversation. And I think my listeners will get a lot from this because I know there are tens of thousands of people listening to this that are wondering, you know, if, if it's a problem, you know, they've definitely probably thought about it. So I just really appreciate you sharing your experience. Angela, it's been awesome. I, I enjoy anytime I get to talk with somebody that's in recovery, it's always makes my day. So thank you for, so much for having me on. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.